welcome to Golden Beer Talks. Sounds like we're having a good night already. We're going to get started. First, a couple of announcements. We want to thank Windy Saddle and their awesome staff for always treating us so well. Golden.com for always promoting our events and being such a good contributor to our community. And we would not forsake our beer ambassador, Frank. Come on up. Hello, I'm Frank Blaha with Golden Beer Talks, and thank you all for coming for the March 10th, 2015 edition of Golden Beer Talks. Uh, the feature brewery this uh, this month is Mountain Toad, and Mountain Toad is over at 900 Washington Avenue, just up the block here. Well, a couple of blocks. Uh, and today's beers are Apex Amber, which is a very nice, not too light, kind of tasty amber, about 5.9% alcohol by volume. And I do like reporting on the international bitterness units, uh, and they claim it's 30. I, I guess there's some controversy. <laughs> But that's okay. I like having the IBUs. And then we also have their Mount Zion IPA because there are some people that really like IPAs, and I'm one of them, and, and we have a, a almost always person here that really likes the IPAs. And their Mount Zion IPA, I think, is really very nice. Uh, it's 7.9% alcohol by volume, 89 international bitterness units, uh, and they call it a bold West Coast IPA. I'm not really sure why it really qualifies as a West Coast IPA, but uh, it's dominated by citrus and floral notes, and it's really a very tasty beer. Do you like it? All right. All right, and so since today we're talking about agriculture, and since I'm always looking for beer facts to talk about, uh, I started looking up, and I'd run across an article about barley and malt and hops and how the craft brewing uh, industry in the United States is changing some of that. Oh, and actually, one, one uh, uh, backing up one point, the Apex Amber, they uh, categorize the Apex Amber as a classic American amber ale, which is really nice because, if you recall, about 20 years ago, you had your choice of very light pale ales in the United States, and that's all there was. And now we've got a classic West Coast IPA and a classic American amber ale. So I just like the fact that there's all these if you will, new beers available. All right, so malt. Malt is made from barley. They take the barley, they start to sprout it, they, they stop that, and then that's the malt that they use in brewing the beer. And all of craft brewing, there's a whole bunch of different malts, and so there's a demand for uh, the barley. It's kind of creating a new business. <clears throat> and um, as it turns out, last year was not a good year for barley in the United States. Most of the barley in the U.S. is grown in Idaho, 14% of the crop last year was damaged because of late rain, so some of the barley started sprouting when it was still out in the fields, and some of it started molding, but at any rate, a major part of it was not available for uh, use in malting operations. And it also turns out that the large brewers dominate the, mal the malting operations because they own all the infrastructure, and a lot of these are European and Canadian. But it's reported that there are uh, a lot of farmers starting to invest some money in smaller malting operations so they can start to make smaller batches of malt from different barleys that will be available for the classic or for the uh, uh, craft brewers. Uh, also, hops. You know, there's now a very much, and 
the uh, craft brewers use like three to seven times more malt in a barrel of beer than the uh, large brewers, you know, that make the light lagers typically. Uh, Similarly with hops, uh, some of the craft brewers use about four times as much hops in a barrel of beer as the large brewers, so there's a new demand for hops and many different types of hops, and the hops have gone up a lot in value as well. Um, It was reported that uh, growers in 14 states have started putting in hop vines all over the place. We saw a bunch of hop vines down in Arizona just yesterday. We just came back today from Arizona. And... um, 70% of the 2015 hop production is expected to go into craft brew beer, just like here with all our local breweries here in Golden. And so with that, I'm going to turn it over to my wife, sometimes known as the beer babe when I'm not in town. And she'll introduce the speaker. It's true, I am, yeah. Okay, our, our speaker tonight is Quint Redman. He was the owner of Agrinex X and Agroverbia. He has more than 20 years of professional experience in design, planning, natural resources, agriculture, and spatial technologies. Quint has a strong, multifaceted agricultural background, which plays heavily in his innovative ideas for incorporating agriculture back into our multiple, into our modern communities, and our multiple communities. And um, I've heard him speak a couple of times, and I'm not even really much of a gardener. I hire a guy to come in and plant flowers for me, let alone a farmer. However, after hearing him, I found myself talking to Frank about, we really need to buy some land and put it into production. And so I'll be interested to see if you find it similarly inspiring. Quint Redman. Let's see if I can do this at the same time. So the, the hops thing, I couldn't, I couldn't plant enough hops right now. We have hops fields going in in Virginia. We have some here. We have them all over the country. It's on fire. I mean, it's, there's a, a, a microbrew a day opening in this country. Last year, there was 398, one more, more than a, one a day. So this is, <clears throat> this is really fun because this is like, <laughs> this is uh, my hometown. My dad carried his white rock up to the M in 1954. I, I went the other way, and I went to um, grad school, and I have a geology degree from Tulane in New Orleans, where all the rocks come out of drawers. In fact, when I got there, and I declared a geology major, and the professor said, and you're from where? He said, are you nuts? I said, no, but I'm here, and the drinking age is 18 in New Orleans. So (laughs) anyway, so it's really fun to be here. Sorry about that. Um, So yeah, it's an agricultural thing now. Uh, And I think there's a lot of people that are really interested in how how we're going to eat in 25 years. Sooner than that. In fact, actually, um, my wife and I um, 
kind of thought we were going to do this in retirement. And then, so I bought a skid steer and a dump trailer and some other stuff. We were just going to kind of do, do our, our thing over, over on two acres over on McIntyre. And then it turned out that everybody else in the world wanted to do the same thing. So we had to figure out how we're really going to do that, how we're going to really build the infrastructure and how it's going to be environmentally sound to do that and how, how the supply chains will work. And so basically about 10 years ago, a guy came in the office and he had just bought a section of ground in Millican. Does everybody know where Millican, Colorado is? It's right across the river from the St. Vrain Power Plant. And the short story is he was not a developer. Are there any developers in the room? You can raise your hand. It's all right. Well, good. So I can say all kinds of things that I, that I want to say about developer. No. So he was not a developer, and he didn't have all the developer baggage, and he wanted to build a golf course. And I said, you can spit on 20 golf courses from here, from this site. Let's not do that. And I said, Where's all, where is the most valuable land per capita in the country? And he said, I think you're going to tell me. And I said, Napa and Sonoma. And it's because it's a working landscape. And it's really working. In other words, it actually works economically, and that's what's attractive about it. And everybody wants to go and see how things are done now. Everybody wants to see how the wine is made. Everybody wants to see how there's... Remember there was a time we called it Folgers, and coffee just came in a cup, right? And now if you don't grind your own beans, right, you're kind of out on the fringe if you don't grind your own stuff. And so the reality is, is everybody wants to get closer to the whole food supply chain. That's going to take a bit of doing, and this is kind of our approach. So we're building the, the infrastructure for the next generation of food. <clears throat> I just have to give credit where credit's due. She's the good-looking one, and she's the smart one. The West Guards will ap- approve of that. That's true. Um, we actually are a civil engineering and design and planning and development company, and we've morphed over time. And then the other part of the interesting story is if you, <clears throat> in the larger sense, as a, as, a, as a culture, to have skills, I was very lucky when I grew up, I got to farm. Even though my dad was an engineer, and we lived over here in Applewood, but I got to farm my whole life out near Erie. And my wife is a farmer from Pennsylvania. We met in grad school. And when the downturn came, this is no joke, this is a true story, we went out, we bought the tractors, and I walked into the design firm, into our design firm, and I said, we are all now farmers. And to their credit, only one person in the firm quit. All the rest of them said, we're in. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we ended up doing consulting, and these are the interesting ones here, the ag supply and the ag estate planning. It turns out that most farmers in the world don't want to give up and sell their land to developers. They don't have an economic choice. And so the real answer to all of this is in each other. In other words, agriculture is very broken the way it is. We, we all know, even the big ag guys, I have a lot of friends that are big wheat farmers on the eastern plains, and they know their time is limited on, on that. And all the developers know, I mean, we have, this, we have these giant cycles. We're going through another one now, whatever, and it's broken. And so the answer is in both, and designing communities that actually do the two things you really need, shelter and food, right? So that's the basic premise of what we're doing. We even count the calories. I'll show you how that works in a minute. So we have stuff all over, and I was just telling a few folks, this little guy right there, that's Grand Bahamas. We just designed 2,000 acres 
that's the entire west half of Grand Bahama Island. Sit, oh, it's the coolest thing in the world. It's part of the resort. The, the, developer, the developer was $200 million in the ground. There's a full golf course that's never been played on. There's a full airstrip. All of the lots were done and everything for this big giant resort thing. And then Credit Suisse ended up with the project back and they hired us. They hired a, a, a client of ours and that client hired us and now there's a whole plan and the resort will be the coolest place in the world. There's, all, there's 134 new small acreage, um, citrus groves and all kinds of things as part of the resort so you can enjoy yourself and eat, and it's productive, and jobs. But anyway, so all these different places we've been, we've been working. If you're not sure that it's a serious deal, um, there's a bunch of reasons to do this. This is self-explanatory. We're, we're getting there fast. I think there's this kind of notion, I hate to, this is the one serious, everybody can laugh after this. This is the one serious part of the conversation. There's a lot of us now, and there's a lot of us coming. And the way we eat now, particularly in this country, is supported by uh, unsustainable practices. And I'm one of those. I've grown a lot of hay. I'm a, I'm a, one of the reasons that I'm good at this agriculture and the way we're doing this is because I've bailed a lot of hay in my life, and I've cut a lot of wheat, and I've done a lot of stuff like that. And those folks also know that we've got to fix how we eat. And one of the things is that we've got all those, fo- all those uh, people to feed. I'm going to just skip a couple here. This is um, the U.S. population. This is the farm population, so that's the number of farmers. This is the percentage of farmers in the U.S. labor force. This is the number of overall farms. This is the obesity rate. And this is the health care cost in billions. Excuse me. Does anybody see what I see? The fewer farmers we have, the less healthy we seem to be, which makes sense if you think about it. Why would we want less farmers per capita? And <clears throat> this is when, I, when I, give, I give a speech a lot of times at big ag conferences and stuff, and this is part of the interesting juxtaposition because we are very proud in this country that the economy of scale was our friend, and we can feed many, many people. In fact, most farmers will tell you we feed 156 families. Well, that's great, except for the fact the way you do it eats a lot of fuel and is not very healthy. And so what we really need is more farmers per capita. We need more doctors per capita, right? That's better for us, healthy. We need more teachers. So there are certain professions we just need more of, and farmers is one of them, and that's, that's the real reason. So 30 million farmers. That's the stated goal of our firm. We're trying to create 30 million farmers. It's 10% of the population. It's not a random number. At any given time, there's about, you know, 8% is lawyers, 6% is architects, you know, whatever. There's, <clears throat> excuse me, shouldn't be drinking all that beer before I talk. So um, there's less than 1% by some calculations and less than 2% by all calculations of for-profit farmers left in the country. And most of those guys are 55 or older. And there's no way to pass that knowledge down, good or bad, without doing it in succession. So we're having to build that new infrastructure, which is also the people. Now, the good news 
I have rafts. I get 10 emails a week of young people that are interested in farming. They don't know how it works and they don't know how much work it is, but they are interested. And so if we figure out a way to do that, I think there's a supply of new farmers coming. We're also 13 million acres short. So if, you, if, everybody, if everybody was really good and ate all their salad and ate all their veggies, the recommended daily allowance of veggies, we would be 13 million acres short of specialty crop farms. Everybody know what specialty crops are? Tomatoes, Brussels sprouts, anything that's not a commodity, specialty crops. It's what most people think of farmers are. Yeah, what you can eat, what you put in your mouth. Very good. That's, it doesn't get processed or doesn't have to be processed. So if we did that just in Colorado, if we prorate that to our population, that would be 200,000 acres of specialty crops just in Colorado, and it would be 80,000 jobs. So everybody eat their veggies and buy them local, right? I mean, that's really true. We know these are numbers, but that's kind of how it works. Okay, so here's the other scary part of the conversation. In agriculture, you don't get to try all year long. It's not like coding. You don't just get to sit there and keep trying. So we have 36 seasons left to try, and every good farmer will tell you they try something new every year, <clears throat> and they can't tell if it's going to work till the end of the year. So we're on an almost disastrous time scale to try and figure out how to feed, how to get this much food and make it good. And that's, so there's, you know, everybody says, why are you in such a hurry, Quint? And I've said, my God, I've got two little boys. They need to eat. So the upshot is, one night I was standing around, I said, we've got to come up with a term for what we're doing. And I was, I probably had another beer than, than this that I should have had. And I'm like, oh, you know, agri, I don't know, agri, agriburbia, agriburbia, that's kind of cool or whatever. Saved my marriage. Like, you know, she's like, oh, he is smart. He is smart. I did. Oh, yeah. Good job, Quint. Agriburbia. That's very descriptive of what we're doing. So the key is that it's really an economic and land use idea. It's, food is part of it, but the whole idea of living with your food, it's not a brand new idea, by the way. 10,000 years old. Like, you know, we used to live much closer to our food. Other cultures live closer to their food. Their kibbutzes. There's all kinds of different examples. In this country, in particular, we've divorced ourselves from the idea of being part of the food chain. Um, but we're fixing that. But anyway, the supply chains are structurally different. And I'll show you one more slide at the end. One person touches the tomato. And we've actually we sold food to the Windy. Yeah, yeah. Um, one person. The person that picked it, maybe two people will actually touch that tomato before from the plant to the chef. And in a typical supply chain, 20 people touch it. That's the forklift driver, the truck lift driver, the unlift, the forklift driver that unpacked the truck. The you know, it just goes on and on and on. And so that's kind of the real key to the supply chain. It's also the key to why it works economically because every one of those entities doesn't have to mark it up so we sell direct. That's the key to, to doing it. By the way, um, for those techies in the group, every um, tomato plant that we plant here in Colorado, which is where we actually operate the farms, is in GIS. Every plant. And we know the P&L for it. And we know when it's going to be ripe. And then actually when the chef calls for Roma tomatoes, 
we go pick it, and the chef, by the time the chef gets it, the tomato is probably 40 minutes old. So there's a couple different kinds. I'm going to stand over here for this slide. Is everybody okay? All right, real quick, I'll go. So we, when everybody started calling, oh my gosh, this is a great idea. We've got to figure it out. We've got to figure it out. So we had to figure out how to categorize it and make it work for different entities and different, pe different uh, parts of the society or culture. So if you called us um, and had 100 acres and you wanted to develop it, we would call that a residential development. And there's two types of farms that we would do in that. The civic farm and the steward farm. And the civic farm is what we would commonly recall, refer to as the open space. And in fact, all the, not all, but many of the open space agencies that are out there now, they're calling. They don't have any more revenue. Nobody has any appetite to tax more, to mow more open space. So they all want to grow stuff on their open space, right? So it works backwards. We're retrofitting open spaces. But the civic farms are public or quasi-public areas. The steward farms are the individual farms that we create in those developments that you can buy and be, and we call it a steward farm because you don't necessarily have to pick the tomatoes. This is really important. You have, you, you're stewarding the land in a better way. So if you are, well, restaurateurs are naturals. Every restaurateur we know wants to buy a steward lot, two acres, have us grow it for them, have a whole stuff, and take a pickup truck full of food into their restaurant. Every day. But we also have people, we, have, we know a dentist, I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but we know a dentist, and he's going to actually put up shop on one of these steward farms, and he's going to grow every kind of mint you can grow and make his own toothpaste. How cool is that? Who wouldn't go to that dentist? Well, I don't know. It's a little weird, but... But anyway, but it's that kind of idea. I mean, and he's really, there's a whole business plan around that. But that's kind of, you know, all the things that we use every day come from somewhere, so they can come from somewhere close. Those steward farms can be edible landscapes, so they can be for your own self. They can be a land lease where we lease it and put it in the supply chain for the restaurants that we serve. Or we can do custom farming, and I'll show you a slide in a minute. We actually custom farm for mad greens. So... Frequent mad greens. If you go into mad greens during the season at the right time, the tomatoes are only 20 minutes old in a, in a strip mall. I mean, that's, uh, it's not just white tablecloth stuff. All right. Oh, sorry. One other thing. So we're on our fifth school district. Uh, anybody from Jeffco School District here? We can't get them to do it yet. Darn it. We have tried, and our kids are there. And we've tried a couple times. But um, just for instance, we put 16,000 pounds of the finest quality produce on Denver Public Schools' dock from their receiving dock from what used to be two pea gravel ball fields on their own, their own land. And so, you know, it's very possible. It's, it's not a pipe dream. It's just getting the ability to get, you know, get people to think that way and to do it. So, um, and then we actually do commercial, like I say, direct... Um, uh, to the restaurant. So it's kind of like um, infrastructure and utilities. In other words, you have water and sewer and whatever. You should have agriculture. That's part of it. And if you build it in like that, then there's always jobs. There's always jobs for kids. There's always jobs. There's always things happening. Um, you know, it's part of that whole kind of opportunity. And now I'm going to I'm gonna have to kill everybody in the room because you saw this slide. 
This is, this is totally secret intellectual property right here. Actually, you're the first ones. No. So this is a farm kit. If you're really trying to figure out how to build infrastructure so that people can be with food or make food or be part of it, so this is a farm kit. It's basically a barn. It's a really cool barn, but it's not that expensive to build. It's about 32 by, I don't know, 60 or something. It's, just, it's, it's uh, modular. The cool part is upstairs, it's a three-bedroom, two-bath, loft apartment. It's cooler than anything you could buy in Lodo. Downstairs, the slab is poured to drain. So it can be a prep kitchen, it can be a daycare, it can be a restaurant, it can be a dentist office. It could be anything you want it to be, and you live there above it. And you put that on two acres, and all of a sudden, you can run your solar thing out of that and make your, you know. So that's a piece of infrastructure. If we really want to do, you know, really want to take this seriously, that's how you have to do that. This is a quick example, just so you can, just so you can see comparative. And then I've got a couple more slides, and then it's quite, well, how am I doing on time? Am I right? Okay. So... Uh, this is the very first one, and I'd just like to show it because it's probably the one I know best. It's been around for a long time. It did not get built. It's still ready to be built if anybody has a couple of million bucks they want to spend. Um, this is a full section of ground. It's a little bit short, 609 acres. But right now, or the way it was done, is flood, you know, flood irrigated commodities, corn, soybean rotation, mostly corn. $350,000 the farmer would get off that. So this is the design. So now we have 994 dwelling units on here. But 50% of the previous tilled land previously is still in production. But on a unit basis, instead of growing wheat, we're growing Brussels sprouts and tomatoes and things that are really good and densely caloric. And now we're actually $2 million worth of food on the same piece of ground. And a bunch of people live there. And this whole pad right here is for a winery. And then these are the steward lots, several different sizes. And then this is the civic stuff all the way around. And it all works together. And by the way, the business, our business, is part of what we do design, we build, and we operate. And so if you want to own this lot, but you really don't want to do the work, you're the steward farmer then you tell us what you want to plant, and it's like a lawn service. We come by, and we basically farm for you, and you can make marinara to name after your oldest daughter. That's <laughs> not funny. There's tons of people. That's crazy. Any lawyers? Lawyers want to name marinara after their oldest daughter. Every, we have tons of them. <laughs> this is one in... Uh, um, that's one in North Carolina. But here, So here's the other cool things that come along with that. So these are ag alleys. So instead of a trail network, you have to have some way to access the backs of the lots. If you, this is like a residential density, but there's still literally tons of food from here. Um, if you want the street scene to look the same, you know, we have ones where they've planted um, fruit trees uh, on the street and others where they don't want to do that because it'll be messy. I know that's crazy, but you know, the apples will fall and be messy. So, but the, the idea here is you have to have access to the back of the lot. So there's an ag alley. Where do you think people ride their mountain bike? Right? It's functional, but the reason it's functional or the reason it's fun is because it's functional. All right. These are just a couple examples. So this is basically what we do. We design, build, and operate. I think I've talked about that. There's some examples. 
Um, once, so once we, if you come to us and you say, I have a, a plot I'd like to talk about, then we kind of do due diligence. We see, we do soil tests, we do a whole variety of things. And then once the land is readied, and this, we have to meet USDA standards. Actually, all the farms we design meet EU standards. So if you operate them the right way, it's EU quality food. Um, once it's readied for that, then we have a couple of different ways. We can lease it from you and we pay you. It's pretty good money. Actually, it's like 2,000, 2,500 an acre. Can you believe my phone rang? <laughs> Golly. Oh, yeah, you'd like to do 1,000 acres tomorrow. So, um, or we can operate it for you professionally. So if you're like a school district and you own the ground and you just want food grown there and you want to take it into your cafeteria or whatever, so there's a couple of different ways to do that. Oh, too many regulations to talk about. That's like a whole deal on its own. We stopped counting at 24 agencies that control what you do on a farm. You know, it's just, it's crazy. And all we want to do is grow really good food. And so we just kind of did that. We just actually, everybody's waiting. It's a joke in the office to see if I actually come in in orange PJs any day. You know, oh, Quint uh, on parole because he broke all the rules. <laughs> so this is over at Maple Grove. This is kind of the fun cultural part of it. This is the DPS thing I was talking about. And we, we there's, there's other good parts of it other than just good food ready to go. There's a pumpkin smash, and if you've ever seen pure, unadulterated violence, you go see a fifth grade pumpkin smash. <laughs> there were kids running under the pumpkins to grab shards of other pumpkins to re-smash them and stuff. It's crazy. And these are all a couple, oh, so the one that we have going right now that everybody, if you're interested in, Midtown at I-76 in Pecos, and this, this piece is already built and we're in discussions to build this. But this is a very urban place. There's, it's in the middle of two light rail lines. And it's going to grow four or five um, thousand pounds of food. And we're, the, the model there is that the developer or the district pays us to farm. And we put it, all the food in the mail room. So if you live there, own a home, and you go get your mail, it's like going to Whole Foods in season. And then Mad Greens I talked about. Brighton, we're doing stuff. These are the resorts. That's the island. And then this is our, my last slide. I think this is my last slide. This is over in Golden, 50th and McIntyre. It's totally cool. I mean, I, I live there, and I can't wait to have the dinners because there was a bluegrass band and the lights across it, and we have people that we don't know and people that are personal friends, and, you know, it's just food is a visceral thing, and it makes everybody happy. Yep. I think we talked about all these. Yep. Um, one of the pieces that we do is education. Just, it's a really important part of the whole deal. And on our farm over on McIntyre, um, we've had everybody from the Montessori kids to the National Park Service and HDR. Actually, the vice president of Bosch came from Germany. He's a partner in one of our projects and had dinner there. And they all have the same, <clears throat> same feeling. It's all, wow, food, we should do that, we should do that. Water, labor, okay. So I promise, this is the last slide. <laughs> Here's the key, because this is like the whole ball of wax. 
if you have to ask, if you ask yourself about it, it's like, what do we need to eat? So that's, that's the nutritional thing. And we don't take sides on this. And I'm a beef guy. I like, you know, I raised cattle when I was growing up or whatever. I like much better meat than the meat I probably raised. <laughs> but, but the reality is there's a whole bunch of different kinds of diets or whatever. You start with that. The bigger issue is where do you actually eat it? Where does it come from and, and stuff like that. And then once you figure those two things out, how do we get land there? How do we get water there? How do we get labor there? It's a big, big deal. This is really the up-and-coming issue. And then there's technology that we use. Like we use satellite-controlled irrigation. We actually literally tell it there's lettuce on this zone, and it automatically calculates ET, evapotranspiration, and puts exactly that amount of water that we want on it, all from going to the weather station. All right. Oh, yeah, i got to show the kids. So these are my two boys. Nobody wants me to take this slide out, but they're in high school now. <laughs> so, 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 yeah. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. So, all right, you guys can read this slide. Is that yeah. questions? Were, I don't know how much time. Did I overrun or am I good? No, no, you're good. Okay. on the microphone and I'm telling secrets <laughs> I'm sure some of us have some questions Quinn's going to come back up and do some Q&A for us here while we're continuing to mill about they're only five dollars a piece five dollars a piece here we go all right so you said blah 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 then you the uh Garden, uh, agriculture would be EU standards. European oh, yeah. Union standards. All right. I, I, I already got hammered. The, the young lady left because she said, EU standards, you've got to talk about organic. You've got to talk about this stuff. So here's the deal on standards. If you know the farmer and they're good people, it's really good food. That's not always true, but if they're good farmers, it's good. So on the stuff that we do, it takes three years at a minimum, to certify ground. So we never spray anything, knock on wood. We haven't yet. We reserve the right to, if we have to, spray organically. But we've never sprayed any veggie we've grown in five years. We plant flowers with it, zinnias. Here's a little secret. We sell the flowers. So there's no pesticide cost. Oh, yeah, that's really, you know, from a farming standpoint, really good. So... Um, all of our methods are completely natural, but it takes three years to certify. So we track that, and then some of the farms that we operate will want to go ahead and get the certification. But most of them don't because it's expensive. You've got to pay us to go through all the paperwork or whatever, and the product sells or whatever. And then the European Union standard, the EU standard, is kind of a sexier way of saying organic. It's roughly identical. But when I'm talking to developers... If I say Europe in any phrase, they get freaked out. They can't be better than us. I'm, t I'm not kidding you. That's really how it works. You know, in Europe can't have any good ideas. 
So because we're America, and I get it, we are, we're way ahead in a lot of things, but that's not one of them. You know, it's a strange thing in Europe. No one thinks a thing about living in an apartment that looks over a vineyard. Here, the zoning guy goes nuts if you're in an apartment that's not next to a single family house that's next to a single, you know, I mean, we've got to have it all zoned, you know, all the way out to agriculture. So it's kind of a weird deal. Yeah. Is that, did that answer you? Yeah. It's basically, you're, you used, oh, I just could have said European Union. That would have been a short answer. Yeah. No, it's good. High quality food. Yes, ma'am. funny you should ask that. There's one other guy in the country that's out of Atlanta, actually lives in, um, in California now, and he's the only other guy that's even kind of remotely close to what we're trying to do on the scale we're trying to do it. And he just called me, that his name is Farmer D. He's, he's a cool guy. He's, he's pretty, he's a little, he's a little more hippie farmer than we are. I mean, we're, we're practical guys. Every one of these farms works and makes a lot of money. Because if you want to have good farmers, we're, you know, I don't want to offend anybody, but the, the, you know, you don't want volunteer brain surgery, right? You want, you want volunteer farming. You want a really good, smart guy that's a farmer that's educated and he knows what they're doing or whatever. So the, the idea is to make that, bring the standard for farming up. So he just talked to me. I talked to him on the phone. And we are actually going to put together kind of how that might become a different standard. Because it's, it's very different than farming in the hinterland. For There's time things. Like you can't farm at 5 in the morning. Although, you know... It's cooler then. Uh, you know, there's, there's pesticides. There's all kinds of adjacency issues to, you know, some of these are very urban. And uh, so, yes, the answer is we're working on kind of a standard. I do not like when people, right, I do not like, that's a sound, sound like nasty. I think it's kind of a funny misnomer when people say urban agriculture. That's like saying urban food or rural food. It's just all food. And if it's well done, it doesn't make any difference if it's in a horse tank on the top of a building or out somewhere in the hinterland. So, yes, we're working on a standard, but do you have a specific question I can tell? (laughs) Okay, everybody, order another beer. Okay, so I'm a planner. So my wife was a biologist and I was a geologist the first time. And we met in urban and regional planning school. So I have a master's in urban and regional planning. Then I also have an MLA, a landscape architecture degree. So this is what our big, the big piece is. Like how do you get this to actually work in an urban or suburban area? Now we actually, so everything, we're, we're GIS specialists. We just, that was part of our eclectic Nature. So we actually have a thing called microzoning that we can't get the cities to adopt. What is the purpose of your driveway? It's transportation. It's like the road, right? It's right away or whatever. So if you live on a lot and you're growing stuff, that should be partly agriculture, right? I mean, so this goes on and on and on. But the reality is I spend more time trying to undo regulations because we've sterilized our entire living. We can't, we, we just, everybody's afraid of everything that has to do with agriculture. They love the idea. And then when we tell them, yeah, we have to put manure on there, <gasps> that'll smell. <laughs> like, yeah, for a couple hours, you know, but, but that, 
the zoning is, I mean, we actually, the one good thing is we were working for, um, oops, we were doing a project for Solterra. Isn't that a funny thing? It's an Italianate hillside village. You think you could find a grape anywhere there? <laughs> Not a chance. And the only reason I make fun of that is because the developer is a really good friend of mine, the guy that's the, yeah, yeah, it's just totally, I, every time I get a chance, I say, hey, where are the grapes in your Italian village? <laughs> anyway, so the answer is, as part of that process, though, Lakewood actually adopted a land use called agriburbia. So if you look on the, no, nobody's used it yet, but there is a zoning there is a zoning classification in Lakewood called Agriburbia now because the lower part of that project um, went in there and they wanted to be able to grow stuff and they hurt me. So, no, 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 no. I want them to use it. I want them to use it. I get to claim, I get to claim victory that way. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. I'm curious, in your experience with building these types of developments, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, boy, okay, yeah. So she said, how does it affect the community? I mean, is it good? Whatever, you know, it's like, so this isn't really long, but it's a little circuitous, so hang in there with me for a minute. Developers think that the way you get people to like each other is to swim together, because every one of them builds a million-dollar pool, <laughs> Right? Does anybody, anybody, anywhere think that recreating together actually builds bonds? No. Producing something together actually builds bonds. That's what you have to do to depend on each other. And then recreating together is part of the whole deal. And I can tell you, when I grew, I grew up farming, I, I earned my way, when I was 10, I started bucking bales up in Erie, if everybody knows where the Erie water tank is. That 80 acres was owned by a, a family friend of ours, so I farmed with them or whatever. And then when I went back up there to go to grad school, I lived as the farm manager and went to grad school downtown or whatever. But I can tell you that the reality is every morning, every morning that I worked, the old man that owned it and all of his buddies, we would go down to the coffee shop in Lafayette and they would tell you know, they're, you know, they're, how come your wheat's growing on my grass isn't growing? And they end of the conversation, <clears throat> I guess your daughter's getting married this weekend. What would she like? <laughs> it's just, it's automatic. It's automatic. And the proof of that is at Midtown, we built um, 24, I think, like Denver Urban Garden style plots so that you could rent them or use them. And then there's a big farm. It's not a giant farm, but it's a bigger farm. And it's professionally managed by us. And we have a thing called the AM Farmer Program. The AM Farmer Program. So if you want to wake up with us and be there on Tuesday morning or whenever we're scheduled to be there, you get to come farm with us. We actually pay you. You actually learn how to do it. It's like cooking school or whatever. You work for a couple hours, go home, take a shower, hop on the light rail, and go into your job. And you do that twice a week, and you learn about it. 37 people signed up for that, and only two of the plots got rented. Because it's a communal thing. It's a professional thing. 
So we're insured. We carry insurance. So all that food is managed as professionally as we possibly can to make it safe. But everybody wants to play. Everybody. That answer your question? I mean, it's stunning. It is. We, it's one more thing. This always makes me cry, so you have to just put up with it. De- Denver Public Schools. So we built one <clears throat> at McGlone, which is out in Montbello. It's the worst performing school in the state. And we, we were worried. We had discussions with the management about what we were going to do because all the tomatoes were going to end up sabotaged and thrown across the street and everything. We didn't lose a single one. Once, once the community saw it growing, they defended it worse. And I mean, this is where those, and it, the opportunity for the kids, you know, it's either drugs or prostitution. And, you know, half of them come to look at the fence to figure out how to become horticulturists. So that's your answer. Yes, sir. <laughs> so, have, have you had time to just put a really crude thing in front of the county commissioners? Or could you think, like, oh, here's another possibility, even if you don't have access, you don't know the developer book? <laughs> I know the developer. Yeah. Oh, my God. Would that be cool? You got a commercial kitchen right on top of the hill, too. I know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's just kind of one of those things where I, I have developer, you know, that's where only we're in Brighton, and they totally get it. Like, they can't do it fast enough, and they can't what, you know. And then there's just, and I honestly, um, I have a friend who's calling the Carlsons to ask them if they want to talk to me. Try it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't get me shot down. Yeah. I mean, I, you know. Uh, I, no, I know. I know. I know. I'm in the development world. I know. I, I know exactly what they're doing. What I'm getting at is I'm also a private property rights person because when I want to farm, I really want to farm. And a lot of people don't want me to farm because it smells or because it does this or whatever. And so we have, as a culture, we have to figure out how to do that. I'm not saying no. I'm saying, you know, we have to figure out how to approach that. Maybe the way to approach it, this is, this is like death. How did I get in this conversation? Oh, my God. So, so maybe, no, no, no. Maybe the way to do that is to come from the public side. So if the commissioners want to hear it or the planning commission or the planning staff want to hear what we do so they know or informed, I'm more than happy to do that. I mean, we've gotten a lot of work around the whole country by doing that, talking to planning staff so that they understand how that works. That doesn't mean I can make it happen. That means that we have a really good idea that would make that whole thing totally different. Beautiful. I, I realize that, but I can't do that uninvited. <laughs> I also, I'm out of town. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. So, yeah, I know it's contentious. I think there's a, I think there's a solution in there, too, in the long run. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not the 
I'm not the ammunition to do that. I'm kind of the solution if we can figure out how to bring it to everybody's attention that might want to. What I would suggest as a result of this wonderful, wonderful gathering is that you suggest it out loud and, and make sure the planning staff calls me and says, hey, we heard about this. Can you come over and tell us about it so we have a way to at least, you know, I mean, don't, you didn't hear this from me because I get my bread and butter from the development community or a lot of it. I think it's going to be required at some point in time, right? We require parks. So why wouldn't eventually we require you to cover certain... I mean, we count the calories. When we design a subdivision, we, it's all, none of this is by guesswork. It's not, it's not you know, oh, let's build a farm. There's four, 100 acres. That's 400 homes. There's two and a half persons per home statistically, and one of them's a kid at 1,800 calories. The other two are adults at 2,100 calories. And we count... The, and then we actually, in that thing that I showed you, we actually figure out how to capture 50% of the calories. So there's, this is like serious business. How do we actually feed ourselves? So I'm more than happy if, if I'm answering the call, so to speak, to come inform people. Love to, actually. Yes, sir. Okay, one more question. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I was getting lazy there. I was resting on my chin. Um, oh, yeah. So I told you I was a professional singer, and I can't even do the microphone. Yeah. So, um, okay, now I'm really going to have to kill everybody in the room. Close the door. We're, Katie, bar the door. So we're hired by DIA. DIA. They have 9,000 acres they're trying to figure out what to do with. So the whole front range, the whole front range. We're figuring out how we're going to, how the front range, and that's, and like kind of, there's big players now. Like I say, this isn't, you know, I, I'm proud of the fact that came up with a, what I think is a pretty good idea. It's kind of the Homer Simpson thing, though, you know, food close by, okay. But, you know, the reality is now everybody's realizing that it's a health thing, it's an energy thing, it's all things thing, and it's really a comfort thing. Like it's really fun to be in places that have food. So there's big, big players. In fact, if you saw the front page of the Denver Post on Saturday or Sunday, the title was Moving Out. Almost everybody that's mentioned in that article is a client of ours to do ag in part or some all of Now, some of those grant you they want to plant an apple tree and call it agroburbia because they're developers, but, but most of them are going to take it pretty seriously. So they will, the food landscape in Colorado, Colorado, North Carolina, and Vermont are the two states, the three states. <laughs> they're the three states that are way ahead of this. Uh, the rest are catching up, and Virginia's catching up, but Colorado's one of them. And, and so... It will be radically different in the next 10, 15 years. Really good. Is that, that's enough? Too much? Thank you very much, everyone. Thanks. While we're closing up here, I just want to mention our speaker for next month. It's the second Tuesday in April. It'll be Golden City Brewery. They'll be coming in with Lakpa and talking about their new brewery project in Nepal. And they'll have some awesome pictures.
country, you know. Yeah. Like the Eastern plan. So come for next month. <laughs>